0: Social Anxiety Kyle, nice to have you on the show. Nice to be here, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that caught my attention. You sent out or someone sent out, probably you, uh, an email to my email box. And it said, TEDx Speaker, Social Anxiety Kyle. And I thought, no, oh, wait a minute, what's a social anxiety guy doing a TEDx? Because that's that has to be, I've never done one, but I've done lots of speaking. And there are times you get very anxious. And if you're going by social anxiety, Kyle, how did the TEDx talk come about? <laughs> I'd love to find that out eventually, but welcome to the show. You, uh, you're you from Southern Indiana. Uh, we had a nice conversation the other day, and I thought I certainly wanted to get you on the show um, because it's a tough time right now for a lot of people, Kyle. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, but anxiety and, and depression and those things seem to be pretty prevalent. So, um, maybe a little bit about you to start, and we'll just see where this goes, man.
1: For sure. So yeah, I'm social anxiety Kyle. Um, and a really <laughs> creative name, but uh, <laughs> yeah, millions in marketing for that one, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see here. So yeah, I'm a TEDx speaker, big mental health advocate. Um, I primarily focus on teens and young adults, uh, helping them go from socially anxious to socially confident, and kind of like what you pointed to earlier, you know, how'd you go from, you know, social anxiety, Kyle, to giving a Ted talk, uh, that, that was kind of how it started was I, you know, I wanted to kind of expose myself to things that made me anxious and public speaking was one of them. So I started doing little speaking engagements here and there, ended up coming up with the goal to, you know, eventually do a Ted talk. You know, I wanted to do something that I thought was impossible for me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so, yeah, being able to actually go out there and do the TED talk, yeah, that was that was wild. It was, it was pretty surreal. <laughs> like it didn't even feel real. It was like, wow, I can't believe I'm even doing this right now.
0: Well, you did a great job. I watched it. Thank you. After we first met and I was really impressed. Uh, there's no way that I would have labeled you social anxiety, Kyle, based on that presentation. I'm sure inside your stomach was in, in fits, but you didn't show it. And that's what I think the key with kids is you know, we have this huge lens that we t- point towards ourselves so often, not just in speaking, but just in everyday uh, life, that the reality is if we can find a way to flip that lens and and be less conscious of the eyeballs on us and more about the content of what we're talking about. And I have found, and I had, I have attention deficit, Kyle, so I, I guess I had anxiety. I'm older than you quite a bit. I don't think we called it anxiety. We just called it nerves. You know, when I was yeah. growing up that a lot of these words you guys use now weren't around the issues were around but we just called them something different but i used to get real nervous before um before speaking and stuff and um if you think about it you know being anxious is a less stressful way to look at a situation being nervous is kind of a negative has a negative connotation to it like you're scared anxious just yeah. means you're excited right i mean
1: Yeah. I I mean, I I wouldn't say they're the exact same thing, but they're, they're definitely the exact same feeling. Like the feeling of like when you're really excited compared to like when you're really anxious is like pretty identical. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But nervous though is, is a little bit different, right? I mean, that, that, that means you're actually literally afraid of what failure, Um, embarrassment, you know, there's lots of issues that go with, with that. So when you talk to kids um, what type of things do you say to them to keep them, uh, you know, Confident. I'm obviously your story is a great example that perseverance and being undeterred, you can do anything, but what do you tell the average kid out there that just cannot get past anxiety?
1: Yeah. Well, first and foremost is let them know, you know, you're not alone hmm. and that's why I always start off, you know, every talk that I do with, you know, sharing my story, which is a very uh, you've listed Ted talk. So, you know, But it's, you know, a very vulnerable part of my life. And I'm willing to share that with literally everyone, apparently. And (laughs) just to show them that, you know, hey, I'm not ashamed of that by any means. Like, I went through this this anxiety. I was living at a point in my life where it completely controlled everything that I did. And now I'm at a spot to where I still have anxiety from time to time. I don't want to say that you can totally rid all anxiety because uh, you can't and you shouldn't, you do need it for things. But you can get to the point where it's not controlling your life. And that's where I'm at now. And so that's what I've just been sharing with teens on, you know, how you can get there, which, you know, I, I talk about in my TED talk with the the three steps mm.
0: um, that, I, that I help people use and that I use myself. As far back as you can remember, have you always been uh, an anxious kid? And I guess the second part of that is, what kid isn't anxious? (laughs) I mean, aren't we all, like you said earlier about just part of being a part of being human is that, you know, when you're born, you sign up for certain traits and I think being anxious and those things are just normal, but kids don't think they are. And that's one of the problems, right?
1: Yeah. So,
0: I mean, I
1: yeah, I've pretty much felt socially anxious or struggled with it severely. Ever since I was a little kid, I mean, pretty much ever since I can remember, I mean, I can name you instances as early as kindergarten that I would uh, put in that category, Hmm. but I I don't think there aren't, there are any kids who aren't anxious. Like I said, we, we need anxiety. I think that's something that a lot of people skip over. Like anxiety's purpose is to keep you safe and protected. So you need anxiety if, you know, you come across um, a, a coyote on a run, like, this makes me think of, uh, I went on a, a a run the other day and this dog was just like barking, barking, barking at me. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm just saying norm. And he's getting a little more aggressive. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to like show him who's boss be like, Oh, you know, get in his face type of thing, <laughs> which, uh, did not work. And he just started like charging me, you know, showing his teeth. And then that made me dip, but like, I needed anxiety in that moment. Cause yeah. I need to stay safe. I need to get the heck out of there. Now the thing is, is. It kind of, it's gotten more, I don't know if it's like, kind of like evolutionized or more modernized, but right. we get a, a, we get anxiety in times where we don't need it, when its purpose is, uh, is not being used correctly. So when anxiety comes up, that means our brain is telling ourselves, you're in danger, you know, get the heck out of there. But I would feel anxious, and I know from the students that I've talked to now, that many... Students get anxious about, you know, raising their hand in class. They get really anxious yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you're not in danger in that scenario. Like, right. The, the, this like anxiety shouldn't be popping up, but all, but it does a lot of times. So it's like, okay, how can we retrain our brains to realize like, okay, I'm, I'm safe when I'm in this scenario. Mm-hmm. So I don't need
0: anxiety to come up. Uh, that, that's where the money is. It's um like your fight or flight instincts. You talked about the evolutionizing. It's like, you know, we have um, used to be, you heard something in the bushes, you just immediately ran, you know, that was your instinct because it probably was a lion. And if it wasn't, there's no downside. (laughs) It's like running. Is it like, if you stand and see what it is first, there is potential downside. It could be a lion charging you. So we've, we've adapted those type of ways over the years to evolution. But, um, you know, so coping mechanisms. Let me ask you when you were younger, did you get into sports? I mean, for me, my hyperactivity is I was labeled attention deficit, all these things, which I don't dispute at all. I actually lean into it to learn from it. I really like having attention deficit. Um, but did you do sports? Did you do things like wrestling or things like that to get that? Your parents are always put you in something like that to get that energy out of you. Um, did that, is that something that you did when you were younger?
1: Yeah, I played soccer, Pretty much my entire life. I mean, ever since I was, I think, like six, all the way up to my freshman year of high school. So, yeah, I was I was in sports. Um, and, you know, I played for the school team or whatever. And then I pretty much just played, you know, whatever kind of like pickup basketball. Not that I was great at it, but I just I always had like a kind of a competitive nature. So I enjoyed sports in that aspect and the competitiveness of it. Did you struggle with
0: depression, things like that during your high school years? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you think they go hand in hand? You think anxiety and nerves and that, do you think there's a, a relationship there that a lot of kids that are that are depressed, you know, I hate that, I don't like that word personally, um, but because it's kind of another label that we use. Um, but when you're going through moments of depressive times in your life, did you think that, um you know, being anxious or having that anxiety feeling contributed to some of this depression?
1: Oh, surely. I mean, especially when I, you know, I, I transferred schools and went to this super huge, you know, public school for the first time, you know, from this really small private school, um, cause I got super alone now at my old school, you know, I grew up with those people. So that was the only people right. that I knew, you know, I had a small support circle, so to speak of friends that I could. I could be myself and comfortable with, but when I transferred schools, you know, I lost all that. So then I became really alone for a long time. And yeah, I, I got really depressed because of that. I just felt like, you know, why, you know, why can't I make friends? You know, a common thought that I had in my head was like, why am I not normal like everybody else? Yeah. Uh, Cause I wasn't aware of what anxiety was and that kind of trickled down into depression. And I don't talk, I don't, Talk about this hardly ever, but yeah, I think my first year at that new school, I lost about 20 pounds mm. and I did not have 20 pounds to lose. Right. Uh, I mean, because I, I couldn't eat, I mean, nothing, I had no appetite. It was rough.
0: My youngest son's in, in kind of in that boat right now. He's 19 and he's going in that phase from high school to college and not really sure what he wants to, you know. What he wants to do, and I think that starts to affect your stomach. And you know, he's having just some concerns and, and no appetite, things like that. And he's lost a lot of weight, but he's didn't have any weight to lose. And so, yeah, we're we're kind of going through different ways to um, navigate through this. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's really a challenge right now with kids today. I think Gen Z. I'm doing a lot of research on Gen Z primarily because of the uh, app that we're launching here coming up uh, this summer. Um, And it's a teen mental health app that we're focusing on. We're really geared towards Gen Z. So for me to design something like this, um, I had to get in the head of Gen Z. So I've done a lot of research on Gen Z. I feel I'm pretty well qualified to discuss the lens that they view from. And that's one of the things that caught my attention with you when you sent me that email was that your focus focused on uh, teens and young adults. And that's pretty much where I'm gravitating to as well as an advocate. Um, I think it's tempting to go down all the different rabbit holes, you know, uh, yeah. you know, it's tempting to be a fentanyl dad advocate because that's what our oldest son died from was fentanyl uh, poisoning, or I could be an alcohol, uh, you know, uh, alcohol advocate for recovery and, um, rehab, because that's what my wife passed away from. But as I started going down these roads, I realized that all these things are inter- interconnected. They're co-occurring issues. And so they all fall under the mental health umbrella. And yeah. so that's kind of where my projects have all been gravitating to. But, um, so you, you are, older than you look, right? <laughs> Cause yeah. you look really young. Uh, but I think on your Ted talk, you said you have three kids. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Three okay. kids, wife, I'm 29 by the way.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, but yeah, so you, uh, you are really, um, you know, admire what you're doing, man. A lot of 29 year olds with a wife and three kids aren't focusing on mental health for, you know, kids, not too much younger than you. You know, Gen Z is basically age 10 to about 25, 26. So, you know, you're you're focusing your um, your mission towards that age group. What are some of the issues with, and I have my own thoughts on this, but I, you're on my show, so I want to hear your thoughts. You don't want to hear mine. Um, what do you see are the biggest problems with Gen Z right now? Uh, there's a lot of them and, and there really shouldn't be, but there are, so what what are your biggest concerns?
1: my biggest concerns with the gen z I, i'd say that one of the biggest problems i see is the la- the lack of self love that they have for themselves mm-hmm. i think especially them and and adults too but definitely them just because they've grown up in kind of this more modern you know social media way focused world is like the comparison syndrome type Hmm. of thing. It's so easy to just get like stuck up in that and just feel like, do you go through this?
0: Do you go through this?
1: I used to for sure. Yeah,
0: I do. Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I do. And one of the reasons why my activity on Twitter starting this year, I decided just to cut that down because even though there's so many heroic stories and so many great things people are doing, I just felt like I wasn't doing enough and it was odd because like if if you posted something Kyle about you know you're speaking in front of you know 500 kids at a school i am genuinely happy for you i'm 100% yeah. happy i really am i'm i'm like wow i'm i i think that's awesome Kyle but something in me is like jeff you're not doing enough you're not doing enough so i wasn't jealous of you i wasn't yeah. i wasn't angry that you're doing something i sh- i feel like i should be doing but i'm like what am i missing why aren't i doing a presentation so I just told myself, I can play this game every time I go on Twitter and I can be genuinely happy for everybody, but simultaneously not be jealous, but just be disappointed in my own production, my own um, uh, process, what I'm doing. So in a sense, it's imposter syndrome, you know, and that's, and, and again, I'm 56 years old, dude. I shouldn't be sitting around having imposter syndrome over, over what people are doing, but that's, I'm just highly competitive. And do you? I was going to ask you with kids today in, in in this generation they're in. I have to think if I feel that way at fifty six, man, what are they feeling?
1: Yeah, um, they're they're feeling it at, at an extreme level. That's for sure. I, there's no doubt about it. I mean, and it just really it brings me back to like when I struggled with this a lot. And it happens from time to time, but I, I wouldn't say it's like a, a big or like one of my top struggles, so to speak. But uh, I remember I would wake up and like the first thing I would do in the morning was I would just get on Facebook. Cause that was the social media of choice when I was in college, and and mm-hmm. I would just sit there and for like scroll for like twenty minutes before I even got out of my bed. And then I'm supposed to go on and take on the rest of my day when I've just, you know, watched so-and-so. They graduated <laughs> yep. college and, you know, this person, yep. you know, just got married or they got a new girlfriend. And you're happy like, for them, right? You're happy for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like I'm like, screw you, because I'm like, I'm right, happy exactly. about it. <laughs> but, but at the same yep. time, I'm like, what am I doing, man? I ain't doing nothing right now. Right. Um, yep. And I think a big thing for me is just like, and doing my best to curate my feed appropriately, so that that doesn't happen as often. So, like, I'll be honest. I use TikTok a lot. I consume on TikTok for a variety of reasons: for entertainment, um, for information, and so I, I, I kind of have like curated. Like, I have some things that are just like purely entertainment that I just like some people that I just think are funny or whatever. And then I have like a few people that I follow that are, you know, informative that are kind of motivating Mm -hmm. um, that type of thing. And then maybe just some like, et cetera stuff. But like I used to have it to where everything that I consumed was just like motivating slash like information for me to learn. Mm -hmm. And I thought this will be the best because this will just like help me grow. You know, and then I, the more information you consume, you know, the you know, the more you can learn, the more you can apply. And then I started getting into like information overload, which I don't Thank think you. enough people talk about. And I'm, surely I'm right. not the only one who experiences this. Right. And it got to the point where I was just like consuming so much information that I there's no way I could apply it all. Right. And then I was feeling bad about myself because I couldn't do all this stuff, and it was just a mess. And yeah. I don't remember what the question is, but that just made
0: me think of that. <laughs> it's okay, man. Some, I, I often start speaking and I can't remember what I'm even talking about. Um, No, I just think that, again, I'm using the lens I view life from and my wisdom in this many years of being on this planet. And if I can have some of these feelings, then I just really worry about the youth today because – You know, I'm in a position where I've done well financially. I'm in a position where I built a company up from age 23. You know, I've I've written the book, done the podcast, did all these things that I should feel really proud about, but there's just something about the situation that I'm learning from that I need to be more in the moment. I need to be more present in my life and be not so wrapped up in the past and certainly not overly consumed with the future. Uh, less talk, more action type mindset. And so, um, I meditate every day, which, you know, we're taping this in the morning here, but before I came on air, I had a 20, 20 minute meditation session. Um, I don't know if that's something you've done at all. Um, but I really, I think meditation for an active mind is good. Um, there's some really misunderstanding about meditation. It's, you're not controlling your thoughts. You're not, Trying to exercise anything like you know bad thoughts or things like that. You're just observing and witnessing thoughts, yeah. and and that's been helpful for me to be in the moment. Um, and this in the moment mindset has become so important to me that my tattoo is even living in the moment. So um, that's a raindrop hitting the water. And after my son died, I had to find a way to get my active mind to just slow down and not be so caught up in grief and trauma and you know, sadness and sorrow, suffering that I stumbled upon that living in the, in the moment raindrop hitting the water. And I thought, wow, what a great, what a great tattoo for me. That's the only one I have so far, because now when I look at that in the morning or at night, when my shirt's off, it just kind of puts me back into that time where I need to go. Okay, Jeff, all that's important is right now. Like right now in my life, what's important is our conversation, Kyle and I, that's it. Yeah. I used to be sitting there thinking about everything, have my other calendar, have my phone up and just, you know, just like, uh, you know, an addiction really, you know, doing something despite adverse consequences. That's the definition of addiction. Um, let's go back again. I segued off into something. I'm not sure I was going with that. Um, you talk about lack of self-love and I, I like that perspective because going back to kids again, what are some you can't tell a kid to shut off social media? I think you and I agree with that that ain't gonna happen um telling kids not to do things doesn't happen either it uh, just all it does is pique their curiosity um, but how do you develop confidence in kids today you know in in the face of or despite of these challenges they have? you know you're talking about you know concerns with the Global warming, you know, the, the political environments, arguably the worst I've ever witnessed in my life are just hating each other. There is yeah. no middle ground. There's no understanding the other point of view. It's just, I'm right. You're wrong. You're an idiot. This is why. And that's, you know, that's the world we live in today. But how how do you create self-love and self-confidence for kids in, in despite all this out there?
1: Yeah, well, I think those two things go hand in hand. Uh, so... I I always like to tell everybody, so like, if you like fully love yourself, like you just love who you are, you love what you do, and you can learn to accept yourself and just fully embrace like, Kyle, are you going to be concerned about what others may or may not be saying about you? Because I mean, that's what social anxiety is. It's the fear of being negatively judged by others, Mm -hmm. you know, in social Mm -hmm. situations. So, like, if you can get that self-love part of it, man, that's that's a huge piece of it. Because if you can start to develop that, and yes, it takes time, it's not going to happen overnight, and nor is it easy. Nor is anything that I say easy. <laughs> None right. of this stuff is easy, and it shouldn't be. Because if it was easy, everybody would do it. There would be no mental right. health struggles in the world. Um, but, yeah, I, I put a huge focus on building my self-love when I first you know, started making mental health more of a priority. And that, that's what I try to share with the, the teens and, you know, the young adults that I speak to. You know, I, I talk a lot about self-affirmations, you know, using the I am statements, um, saying those things into the mirror. You know, I, I am strong, I am brave. You know, I, I am a good public speaker, those type of things to try to rewire those um, cycling thoughts. I, I read a stat the other day, I I may be slightly off, so correct me if I'm wrong or if you know the answer. But anyways, (laughs) I think it was said, uh, I think 90% of our thoughts are are repetitive and that 85% of those thoughts are negative. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so when you have those negative thoughts, just constantly running your mind for most of us, probably on autopilot, you may not even realize that it's happening, but it's like, I'm not good enough. You know, I can't do this. I can't make the team. I'm not smart you have this stuff consistently just running through your brain, then that's how you're going to feel. So we know this stuff works, but it also works on the opposite side. So if you start using those affirmations and maybe start rephrasing some of those negative thoughts, uh, that's what I always like to say is like, okay, get a journal or get a piece of paper, start writing down, you know, what are those most common thoughts that you have on a day-to-day basis? Try to find like five, 10 of them, whatever it may be and you might have to sit with yourself in silence for like 10 minutes to think of it. Cause like I said, they kind of run on auto autopilot. So it's kind of like a meditation and doing this. It's like, okay, once you do those now reframe those thoughts into something positive. So it's, you know, I'm not good enough, you know, then reframe it to doing I'm doing the best that I can. Right. So when you start to consistently say this to yourself over and over again, uh, like I said, I, I do this just about every morning. That's, starts to have the same effect but in a positive way because now i got those thoughts that are cycling through my mind every day to start the day so that that was a big thing for me but i also practice you know gratitude um big big believer in meditation there is just a ton of evidence that shows Mm -hmm. that meditation is huge for your anxiety i Honestly, if there's like one single greatest tool for anxiety, I'd say it'd be meditation. Me too. Me too. Yeah, if, if It's a you chapter in my the, book.
0: It's that, that important to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, there's studies out there that show the, you know, the MRI studies of people who meditated, who felt anxious and people who were anxious and didn't meditate, it's, it's wild. I mean, it, it shows. So like there's those two parts of your brain, you know, the limbic system in your brain, which is more like the emotional side. Mm-hmm. And then you got that prefrontal cortex is right. just more of like your, you know, your logical Reasoning. side. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and socially anxious people or just anxious people in general shows that that limbic system, that emotional side is like revved up way too high. And then that logical side is like way too low, but they showed in, through those MRI scans that actually meditation started to rebalance those two things.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: like, if you feel anxious, try meditation, like my goodness, just try it. I
0: mean, maybe meditation
1: isn't for everybody, but
0: I can't, ex- I can't agree with you more. I mean, I, that, <laughs> I, meditation has just been, and I never meditated at all until about 51 years old. So think of all the years that I went through what I, you know, and and I, again, I kind of just forced myself like you, I didn't like public speaking. So I just decided I was going to do a lot of public speaking. That's how I was going to force myself into, not really enjoying it, but lean into it to learn from it. But meditation yeah. has been that one thing that really glues it all together, um, or maybe unglues it in a way, just by looking at everything being so so disconnected but connected. You know, and and thoughts, just the exactly. idea of thoughts and how we spend so much time, especially adolescence, just an inordinate amount of time captured in thought, and majority of it negative, like you said. And it isn't that we're trying to expunge negative thoughts. We just don't want to hang on to them very long when they do come in, you know, into our head and our mind. So it's like I welcome them, but I'm going to just watch them die. I'm going to watch them. I'm going to observe that thought to just go away. And so there's some power in that. It kind of gives you power like during the day when you're in a position where somebody cuts you off and you want to flip them off or say something bad. Through meditation, you just realized, hey, that moment of anger that just came into my body, it wasn't there, you know, five seconds ago. It's not going to be there either. You know, 100% of every negative thought, 100% of every negative emotion we've ever had has expired. It's died. We just add new ones. So with that mindset, kind of with this knowledge that we have, um, we should be better at acknowledging that these things are just part of being human and they're not abnormal, they're not disorders. This is why I hate, I hate (laughs) phrases like attention deficit disorder, um, even anxiety disorder. It's like, I would prefer if I could be king for a day, I would take all these labels and I would give them their due. Okay, fine. Attention deficit but let's stop there. Let's don't add this clinical diagnosis. So we can file an insurance claim word disorder, and let's call it a spectrum. So Kyle, you have attention deficit, right? So are you a zero, which means basically no one notices, you don't notice it, but you still have it. Um, it's just suppressed and you're lucky or you're a 10 and you're all over the place and you need Adderall. Let's say, um, why can't we look at things like that on that spectrum and then instead of now young kyle thinking he's a disorder and he's looking out the window at school thinking about things that he shouldn't be thinking about because he needs to be thinking about calculus <laughs> jokingly i'm saying that um instead of looking at that individual as a disorder why, why can't we just look at it differently i'm just i guess i go off the old mindset is if what we were doing was working We wouldn't have to entertain these other options, but what we are doing is not working. And we even, it's so bad now there's an Adderall shortage in our country. You know, there's more adults on Adderall right now than children. So it's like something's got to give. I think reframing is powerful. You've talked about it a couple of times. I don't know if you know much about stoicism, but that's a big part of their practice is reframing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why at the end of all my speeches, I say Here's the greatest question you can ask yourself, the single greatest question any human being can ask themselves, and how you answer the question dictates the quality of the rest of your life. And the question is this: Do things happen to you or do things happen for you? Mm. That's simple. I mean, that's one is a victim, the other is a victor. The one is on the bitter road, the other is on the better road. And that's how I tie up my presentation at the end. So I ask all my listeners, you know, ask ask that question to yourself. You a victim or a victor? Because I certainly can be a victim. There's no question. Alcoholic, compulsive gambler, buried a child, buried my wife. I could sit around and be a victim. I. It's not that I refuse to be a victim. I just don't think I am. I believe in my heart I am the luckiest person on the planet right now. Um, and death gave me an opportunity to look at life with a lot more gratitude. So I don't know. Yeah. I just got off on that because you had talked – some things that you said got me triggered about thinking about some of these things. I just – People are curious how other people fight through adversity. That's why I have you on the show. I want to know a little bit more in detail about your day to day. Do you think the first 30 minutes of each day for a teen is make or break?
1: It's make or break.
0: First Mm -hmm. 30 minutes you do when you get up. How important is that for a teenager?
1: Uh, I'd say it's very important. I mean, I guess it all depends on how you spend your first 30 minutes. I, I'm a well, big advocate of not being on your phone the first hour. That's where day. I was going with it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I was
0: hoping you'd jump on that. Yeah. I mean, cause okay. I mean, I used to, I used to just pop up and jump on my phone Yeah. and then my mood Same. was dictated on whatever post was there
1: Yeah. or email or whatever the weather.
0: <laughs> so what does a teenager do their first 30 minutes? What do you suggest in lieu of being on their phone or if their phone provided a meditation app like mine does, you know, then you're actually on your phone, but I'm using it for meditation.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess I'll just explain to you what, how I spent my first 30 minutes. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Yeah. I guess that's what I would suggest. Uh, Not every practice is for everybody. So it's kind of pick and choose, I guess. But here recently over the past couple months, (laughs) I've been, uh, I've been jumping on the ice bath bandwagon. Um, I heard so that's, that. that is the very first thing I do and I love it.
0: <laughs> oh, did you buy, did you buy an, an ice bath or you just fill up your tub or?
1: No, I got, yeah, I got a tub downstairs. So yeah, I fill that up and that's the first thing I do because that is, that is so uncomfortable and hard to do. And if I can do that, then the rest of the day seems a lot easier. I love Not that, to mention man. all the, the benefits of doing that, but love starting out the day that way. And and then how, right after now, the, go
0: ahead. do you ever do you, like the first time you did it, how, how many seconds did you go in or do you do you increase him over time or like do you, what type of, is there a program out there that talks about the best way to do this? Cause I'm, you're like the 10th person in the last like two weeks that says they start their day off. So I'm like, okay, I'm in, I want to, I want to try it. So <laughs> is there like a tutorial on YouTube that talks about this or I haven't researched it. So
1: yeah, there's, um, oh man, what's his name?
0: I know Man, Joe Rogan, on the big guys, uh, the big not, guys, the, 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 the,
1: the first guy I ever heard it from, it was like five years ago, he was doing it before everybody else was doing it, at least from what I can tell, I didn't see anybody else do it except for like this past year. I've been seeing a lot of people hop on mm-hmm. like Joe Rogan and stuff like that. Um, Hoffman, Iceman, Iceman Hoff. Yep. I've saw, I saw the documentary. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what got me, uh, started into it. He, he, he explains a lot of the benefits and stuff. And I, I've read some of the studies as like, as far as like how often you should do it, how long, um, I'm not going to sit here and quote it to you cause I can't remember, but how long I remember do you do like you, you, you want to oh, go ahead. How long do you do it for you? Uh, two minutes a day. I heard that if you do it for 11 minutes a week, that's where you get the benefits. So I was like, now right, is that at one
0: time you do two minutes at one time? Yeah. Now, are you putting ice in your water or you just have ice, icy cold water? Um, I
1: started putting ice in my water cause I just fill up my bathtub with yeah. just, you know, the coldest water. And then I would get a bag of ice and pour <laughs> it in my hand. and then I would check the temperature of like ice with, with the ice in it and with the ice, not in it. And it's just, just about the same, just because like one bag of ice doesn't really do much for an entire, you know, big old bathtub. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to stop spending money on ice. I want to eventually get one, you know, that's nice and temperature control. I mean, they cost like five, 10 grand, but eventually, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. It's usually just ice
0: cold water. Hmm. I'm really intrigued. I wrote it down It's something I'm going to jump on. Amazon or something today and look it over and see, because, you know, I got it, I got a sauna, which I like my sauna. Um, mm. and I use that, uh, sometimes pre-workout sometimes after workout, but I do like anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes at about 150, you know, and that's, you can soak pretty good in there. Um, oh, yeah. yeah And, and then I, I have, a you know, other, other things I do in my routine, but the ice thing just keeps, I've tried the cold showers. i I freaking hate those. (laughs) I just hate them. I just can't stand in the shower with ice cold water over me. I think it'd be easier for me to just go into a plunge and just, (laughs) you know, just just go, ah, you know, I I can see me doing that than standing there with cold water on me. I'm fighting it, you know, I just, I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, I I'm, I'm really intrigued of adding arrows to the quiver, as I like to say, you know, uh, I don't think, I don't think it's possible to have too many coping mechanisms. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you can have too many.
1: No, I don't think so. It's better to have a, a large utility belt, just pull whatever out you want.
0: Yeah. That's how I look at it. So let's, let's go back to Gen Z again with my fascination on Gen Z. Like I said, I'm trying to pick your brain and see if there's something I'm missing here. Um, so let's take social media off the, off the platform because that's an easy, it's an easy target to blame social media. Sure. Uh, or to make Gen Z feel like, oh, if, if we had social media in our generation, we wouldn't have been addicted to it. That's BS, man. <laughs> if, I, if phones were around, I'd be doing the same damn thing. I'd be oh, probably yeah. doing more. We just grew up without that stuff. I mean, we had black and white TVs, no remote control. I was the remote control. My three brothers and I, my dad would say, turn a channel. We had three channels. Cartoons were Saturday mornings from like you know 8 to the 8.30. That was it. And then we got so bored, we just went outside. We just played outside. It's all we did all day long. I can sit here, look out my back, stu- my, my studios in my basement here. And my neighbors have kids. And even during the summer, I don't hear any laughter. I don't see a lot of kids playing outside. I do. My neighbor girls occasionally will be out and playing um, on their swing set and stuff. But it's really sad. It's really sad how isolated our kids have become. And again, we can blame whatever we want to blame, but... The simple fact is kids aren't really outside much today, getting sun, enjoying nature, turning over rocks, seeing what critter scurries away and identifying it and just being creative, you know, building, building grass forts out in the woods, you know, catching snakes and frogs. And I mean, it sounds so, I don't know, simple, but like you said, it is, it doesn't have to be that difficult, you know, it's hard, you know, yeah it's not easy but i think it's simple you know i think the solutions to this mental health crisis that we are now in the midst of this epidemic um they're not easy from a perspective that's like a pill or a a ted talk or a motivational tape i can buy online. but i think the solutions are simple i think we get back to being vulnerable we get back to sharing stories we get back to supporting each other genuinely and i think if each one of us could be a little more intentional on our posts less braggadocious less about how great i am how great my kids are how great my job is we can still do those things subtly but try to bring in more people and i'm i'm this year 2023 i'm so much more intentional with every reaction i make every post i make and make it try not to make it about me or my story or my kids or my job or what I'm doing, and if I do make it so i I can frame it so it it actually makes other people feel good, you know brings value, but, yeah, yeah, I mean if I win an award and I go and post it on Facebook, I think the collateral damage is worse than whatever benefit I got from that post, and so that velocity of the negativity that's unintentional. I'm not trying to make people feel bad, but in the one moment where everyone's liking my post and I'm feeling patting myself on the back, oh, I'm great. Um, I think there's a ripple effect there where it actually is doing more harm than good. So how do you talk about your successes publicly without making other people feel um, feel bad? And it's like I said, it's unintentional. And somebody could say, well, that's not my problem. You know, if, if my kid, Gets straight A's, gets a full ride to Stanford. I want to go talk about it. And I don't have a problem with that either. But then how how do we how do we disseminate that information, but do it in a productive manner where you're not making people feel, feel bad? And you and someone could say, well, people aren't. Well, yeah, they are. (laughs) That's the problem. They are. I mean, suicide rates are the highest they've ever been, attempted suicides are the highest they've ever been, depression's the highest it's ever been. And, but yet social media just seems to be this place where we can use it for good. Um, and so I just didn't know if you had any thoughts on that or if you agree with that or.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I agree with the people who, who may say like, well, you know, it's, it's not our job if it you know, make people feel better. If I want to share this, I can like, okay. Like uh, I can understand that mindset, but it's like, also, if you just got some great achievement, you know, landed a big talk, whatever, like share the value in that. What's yeah. a, what? share the inspirational value in that? Like, yep. I want to hear that. That's right. I care less about what you did, but tell me about the steps that you took to get there. You know, how did you get there? You know, what was it like? What does it feel like for you right now? Um, because I mean, that's what I always try to do because I hate posting stuff just to say like, oh, I landed a TED talk. like. I, I, don't do too. I don't remember exactly what my, po- I know I did a post about it, but I didn't just say that it was, you know, I, I think I even cried while I was talking about it. Actually, I, I did a video after I got my first, after I got a call from the lady who was running the TEDx event, she said she wanted me to speak. And I just put my phone on, on camera and started videoing myself and just kind of just, I, I was just tearing up because Mm -hmm. I was so like grateful and just like overwhelmed with emotion. Like, that's what I wanted people to see. I wanted to see that. Like I didn't want to just be like braggadocious. That's what Mm -hmm. I would say. It's just like, show the inspirational side of it. Like, yeah, tell us about it, but like, give us some value from it as well.
0: I like that. I really do because you did the end result was the same. People knew about your Ted talk, but the way it was presented, You know, that wasn't going to make anyone feel uh, inferior. Um, That's my point. That's my point. I think we can do the same thing, but we, we present it differently. You know, like if you want your kids not to do X, we don't have to tell them not to do X. We can come at it from a back door, come at it from a different way. And that's where, that's where my mental health advocacy lies at this point. Kyle is I'm trying to figure out that back door. I'm trying to figure out through all the last few years of literally, I mean, literally when I say I went around the country, I did go around the country for 95 days in an RV, knocking on doors, hugging strangers, hearing stories. Um, there's something out there that I can take from this and I can put together and present to you know, the world, I guess, dramatically to try to make it a better place. What that is yet, I don't know. And that's the beauty of the road that we're both, are, we both are on is that there's so much upside to what we're doing and there is no downside. We just keep searching, keep trying methods, keep meeting. Like, you know, like I said, I mean, you, I got a random email from you. So I don't know if you, I do have a company that sends out those emails. Cause that was, uh, that's what caught my eye was that you sent me an email <laughs> And it looked fairly generic and I won't, I won't be too specific, but it caught my eye. I mean, Hey, I'm Kyle social anxiety. Okay. Let me check this kid out. But it worked. And my point is, as an advocate is you need to get out there. You need to work it. You need to send out those emails. You need to post those things because eventually you're going to, you're going to meet somebody that you can take something from and add it to your story in a good way, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, everybody who's a mental health advocate, I mean, we all have the same kind of overall goal, right? Which is to help increase awareness, help people feel better about themselves. I mean, I think that's what we're all striving to do and sharing our own personal stories to help people do that. So I don't see people in that do similar things to me as like competitors by any means. Right. Uh, I just see them as like friends and Collaborate. I, I work together with. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. All right. So how do people let's talk in the last few minutes or so about what you do, what, what you have available for people who follow me that maybe want to reach out to you, um, a little bit about your organization and then how people can reach you.
1: Sure. So I'm a teen mental health speaker, I speak at schools, organizations, you know, different events. I've also been doing a lot of uh, speaking to parents here over the past six months or so, which has been cool because I think that's the other side of teen mental health is uh, getting the parents on board. Obviously, they have, they have the biggest influence in the teenagers' lives. Um, so that's been really cool. Um, and then where you can reach me. I've been spending a lot of time on, I think I, we talked about this, but on, on YouTube. I do stuff on TikTok, which is honestly just smaller versions of my YouTube. But for those of you who can't watch 10 minutes of something in a row, I get it.
0: (laughs) 10 seconds nowadays. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I I got shorter versions, but that are able to still provide value, um, which is, took me a long time to figure out how to do it. It was very challenging, but yeah, it's been fun. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to reach out to me whether you want me to come speak or you just want to ask me a question, reach out to me on the website, got a little contact form. It's a social anxietykyle.com. And honestly, just, I love hearing from everybody. Anybody who emails me, I I reply to you. So it's not like you have to be offering me something of value for me to reply to you. If you ask me a question, I'm going to answer and I'm going to give you a pretty in depth one, uh, one that you may not expect that I would write. So, and yeah.
0: How old are your kids? Eight seven four. It's good ages, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, because those are those are great ages. My granddaughter's six, so I'm enjoying her immensely. But I often think about what's coming down the road. You know, how can you talk to kids that age, you know, and get them teed up for what mental health is? I mean, is that something you've thought about? I mean, how do you have a conversation with a seven year old about mental health without using the words? Mental health.
1: Well, all my kids know what mental health is, but uh, well, of course, yours. My, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my lane is definitely not speaking to elementary kids. That's for sure. I w- not that I wouldn't want to, but I'm just not right. the person to do that. Okay. But uh, my kids, we we invest a lot of mental health practices in them. So we do gratitude together. We do meditation every single morning. That's awesome. So, yeah, we, we try to keep very open and, you know, explain the language of how to talk to people and not just be like, I hate when you do blah, 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 blah. And it's right. like, okay, well, like, hold up, like, you feel whatever when, you know, they do this, like, trying to get them to understand how to talk to people appropriately and, you know, how to come and share when you're having, you know, you know anxiety or you're feeling sad, like, it's okay to come talk to me or come talk to mom. And that's been really cool. So my hope is that instilling that at a young age, and I believe it will, will have immense impacts, yeah. especially the meditation part. I'm really excited right. about that. Can you imagine meditating since you're like five years old. Oh man. You know, the,
0: the Dalai Lama, <laughs> the Dalai Lama was quoted as saying, if, if he could get all children to learn meditation, he could eliminate world violence in the world. In one generation
1: I and, doubt and that's it. the dalai lama and he's
0: a fairly he's a fairly smart guy he's i think he understands the game a little bit um well listen man i really enjoyed this really appreciate it i can certainly see us collaborating together on on some initiatives um i'm really happy that email reached me and that i opened it and that um had a chance to watch your ted talk and i really admire at 29 having this passion that you've you've kind of um I won't say stumbled into, cause you, you've been intentional about this. This hasn't been an accident. Um, but I see big things in your future. I think the timing of what you're doing couldn't be better. And I, and that's an unfortunate statement. That's a, that's kind of a sad yeah. state of affairs because, uh, Gen Z is the first generation of all time to put mental health as their number one new year's resolution, by the way, first generation of all oh, really? time. Yep. First time. And, um, uh, so they're aware they know they have, issues to work on they know there's problems and we have to provide solutions for them or at least some uh tools in the toolbox right um yeah all right man well i really appreciate this uh this has been great and uh i know this will be a popular show because a lot of my a lot of my followers are really heavy into teen mental health um and they should be awesome because they're the ones that are going to inherit the world so Well, thanks, brother. Keep living undeterred, and um, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jeff.
0: You bet, man. Take care, Kyle.